Hello and welcome to the final recap, the seventh episode of the seventh season, because all good things in Game of Thrones world come in sevens. This is Kate and Laurel with King's Landing. So you're saying that this was a good thing? This episode was a good thing. Laurel, save your salt until um, the dragon and the wolf. Um, the seventh episode was written by David and Dan, so we can talk about that um, as we go through this episode. So this week we are going to try really, really hard to keep our commentary only to this episode and not discuss the season as a whole. So we may talk about the season in generalities, but we'll save all the in-depth stuff for a recap of the whole season, which we'll, we'll release in two weeks. Yes. So keep an eye out for that. Um, Laurel, do you want to start us off with this episode? Um, sure. So, um, my notes are a little, a little snarky here. Um, so I'll try my best to kind of mediate, but I think coming off of my frustration with last episode, I didn't hold a lot of high hopes. My very first comment is, oh, so now we get pacing because it took four episodes for them to get from Casterly Rock to king's landing yay like we finally are getting some pacing here um but also i'm a little frustrated in the fact that they just the unsullied just arrived at um king's landing when such a big deal had been made about the fact that a euron's army had or euron's navy had destroyed all of the unsullied ships and the fact that they had raided all of the food stores around casterly rock so, like, those were just two details that I'm like, why did you need to include those in the mm. plot if it didn't matter and the Unsullied were able to just easily get to King's Landing? Cool. My first thought, um, seeing the opening scene of this episode, was, oh, the parlay looks like it could turn violent. <laughs> um, and my second thought immediately as a book reader was, oh my gosh, my dreams just came true. We have seen the Thraki and the Unsullied working together in the field, and this is incredibly cool. Mm -hmm. I was just super excited by that. So um, that was a theme for me in this episode, the things that I've imagined happening as a book reader, whether they've happened in the books already or are theories that we have about what will happen in the Winds of Winter and the Dream of Spring. Those were the types of things that were happening in this episode. I mean, like, they have all season to a lesser extent, but this is, this was pretty huge. Yeah. There were some so great So King's Landing here. and Euron's fleet around um, the Blackwater Bay, like, wow, was my reaction. Um, so were you thinking Clegane Bowl tonight was my next thought? Just before we get I... to that part of the scene, I was just feeling that since we saw it. I was. I think everyone was. I think everyone was excited for it. And so that's like a disappointment number one from this episode was the trolling they did with that. And also the fact that whatever he says to um, the mountain, yeah, zombie mm-hmm. mountain, what the hound says, just like doesn't make sense. It's this weird, like vague statement thing that sounds like it has meaning, but doesn't and i'm just like okay why it's totally set up for clicking bowl they just want to make sure that everyone understands that the hound and the mountain are still rivals that's all yeah 
bad writing again. It was so like awkward it. how Sander is just like walking through the pit to specifically talk to the mountain. That was clumsy. Yeah, like, that was clumsy. And then the whole concept of you know who gets to kill you. I've always known I'm going to be the one to kill you, basically. It's like, who says that? Who talks like that? Like, that's just... Especially because the Hound is supposed to be afraid of his brother. Mm-hmm. He's there. This kind of confrontation I don't think would actually happen. Um, going along the line of reunions mm-hmm. here, there were a lot of really cool reunions in oh, this yes. scene. And I think none of, none of them really got as much of a moment as I think they deserve. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy the Hound and love. Brienne. Um, yeah. I love the fact that now the Hound knows that Arya is okay and doing well. That was and he cool. smiles. But um, Bronn and Tyrion, I think, especially after we know that Bronn helped J- Jamie set that meeting up, I think I would have liked to have seen more f- friendship between Bronn and Tyrion. I didn't really understand their dynamic there. And then also Jamie and Brienne will talk about, but that was just frustrating in terms of that reunion. Again, we've seen the Lannister army here. We see... Theon, Greyjoy, we see John, we see the Thraki, and that's just, just wow. Another, that, that was a theme for me for this episode. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um. So then, just in terms of the scene, now that Daenerys is here and she's mm-hmm. running late, which is hilarious, but whatever. <laughs> um. This whole scene was such a cool moment, mm-hmm. and especially from the perspective of the book of like these characters are all together and this is happening oh my god I just felt that the entire scene fell flat somehow and I was really frustrated with it as I was watching it it was like the moments weren't built up the way that I wanted them to be um Daenerys's entrance everyone's just kind of looking at her you don't get the reaction shots that Mm. I wanted from those actors um you don't get to see Cersei and Daenerys really like eye each other up Mm. and like this moment of, okay, we're meeting finally. Um, I didn't have any problems. I'll disagree with you here. I didn't have any problems with the scenes pacing um, or the buildup to it because I just, it's something that I've wanted for seasons. I mean, Mm -hmm. so I wasn't bothered by that. I, totally agree with you though about getting more reaction shots and that's not a problem of they didn't film it I think it's a problem of they didn't edit it that way and I think maybe this scene would have fit in better in a penultimate episode rather than a final Mm -hmm. because there were so many other moments in this episode that were big that it kind of got drowned out by the end of it in terms of my memory (laughs) of this episode this scene isn't what I remember and that's really disappointing for such an, a big scene. it took up a lot of the episode though like it did a, an incredible just, amount of this episode <laughs> yeah we get into this scene really quick where euron is taking jabs at Tyrion. oh yeah and cersei defends Tyrion from euron okay this is so yeah. what um is this part of her trying to act as if she as we find out later She's going to truce with them, and... Well, okay, from her perspective, Tyrion's life is very much hers to take. So I do buy 
that she was mad at Euron. Like, no, dude, that's my person to kill. Like, back off. And that's why she has the mountain kind of step up. Is now a good time to go on a little a tangent? Yeah, let's do a Euron okay. rant. So Euron in the books is one of the big bad guys. And in the show, it's not looking that way. And I'm just... Ugh. Yeah, I think... Let's keep the specifics because I feel like this is a rant that will really yeah. belong in our season wrap up. Um, but specifically in this episode, I was really annoyed at first when he's just like, nope, I'm not dealing mm-hmm. with this and runs mm-hmm. away. Which I, at the moment, I was like, this is not Euron. Then we find out later that that wasn't his real purpose of leading. That felt like lazy writing mm-hmm. to me is they they wanted us to know that Euron was still allied with Cersei, but then wanted him out of the way because they just didn't have anything for him to do, rather than that they actually needed him to mm-hmm. be out of the way. I feel like they're just really ignoring him and losing a lot of great opportunities for him to be the evil person yeah. that he well, is. Well, they also but... needed to remind the audience before we go into this super long hiatus between now and season eight that he has Yara, that Theon and mm-hmm. he are obviously all connected, and that in the bigger picture of things, if they have to fight each other, they both have powerful allies. So I think that's what we get out of the scene. And then thirdly, yeah, when the white comes out, and I know we haven't really gotten to that part yet, but I do want to note that Euron approaches the white and goes, do they swim? Which is a callback to all of our book readers about the theories that we have about Euron's badness in the Winds of Winter. Um, specifically that he mm-hmm. will raise a certain kind of white from the ocean because he's going to have godlike powers, which is going off on a huge tangent. <laughs> Book Euron is very different, as we've said. Um, so. I do want to mention really quick just a quick inconsistency, yeah. which is that apparently whites don't swim unless they're attacking Tormund. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, since we are jumping around the scene a lot, let's... <laughs> jump back to brainy i guess but oh really quick with Euron, he was giving danny a lot of uh-huh. the side eye yeah so that might be a factor in season eight if he tries to woo danny somehow or kidnap her or something mm-hmm. when cersei's looking like she's going to lose so mm-hmm. yeah yeah i see that happening as far as brainy goes this initial um introduction and laurel briefly mentioned this it's very cold but at the same time it's the first time we've seen each other all season am i wrong it's a very cool moment but also heartbreaking because we see them very obviously on two different sides which is why the scene is so interesting can we just talk about brienne being given the line fuck loyalty oh what like brienne's entire character is about loyalty and about trying to earn honor and justice and she has not had anything close to the kind of arc that she Mm -hmm. gets in the book that makes her even slightly question that and she only slightly questions it in the book she never abandons loyalty as like her main source Mm -hmm. of value and identity so this is just what are they doing to these characters they're writing writing them as if it's like they're writing what they need the characters to say 
to make the plot they want to have happen rather than staying true to who the characters actually and are. And let the plot developing from there. frustrating yeah. to me. Yeah, so I don't I don't like it. I'm that's a very don't fair like criticism. It. I loved it because this is, even with Brienne's worldview of loyalty, which I very much identify with, there's, with Jamie's situation, there is, this is the only world-ending thing that would make... Brienne say this under no circumstances would she ask this of Jamie, you know. So I yeah. mean, there was River it's Run just... last season when she was kind of like, "Hey, like, can you make this happen?" And he said no. So this is the kind of the last straw. This is she... Brienne wants Jamie to help the world and not do the selfish thing and help Cersei which I think is very fair and very warranted under this set of circumstances. Yeah, I guess I I do agree with you that in the context, the thing that would ultimately and will in the books as we're predicting ultimately make Brienne break her vow to Catelyn is loyalty and mm-hmm. love of Jamie, And that's not, we didn't get that in this scene. It, it wasn't obvious that this was being said out of love to Jamie mm-hmm. in any way, but it also it didn't carry the gravity that it should have. Yeah, like that's fair. if if this is going to be us getting Brienne character development and Brienne is changing and Jamie's a part of that, which is what everything had always yeah. led up to until they started diverging <laughs> from the books, then that line needed to be like the line mm. rather than just like it felt like it was almost humorous, which I didn't like so let's move on to another part of the parlay which is the white being released mm-hmm. and we've already talked about it but the white being released from the box um and then it runs at cersei which is funny <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and i mean cersei does look horrified mm-hmm. here and i think this was a really important scene because now everyone is on the same page in terms of the threat that's coming from yeah. the north um Okay, next part yeah. is the white dying. So John goes up and burns mm-hmm. the forearm, the arm. And that is totally legitimate. That is how you kill white. It is canon. But then in the show, I have a huge beef with this. They're like, oh, now we can kill whites with dragon glass. And, um,. With our Valyrian steel swords. Like, no, you can't. That nope. is not canon. You can only burn whites to actually kill them. Yeah. You can cut them down as much times as you want and make them, like, just have random arms and body parts, like, running around. And that's cool because, yes, you can defeat an army that way and then burn everything. And the show has not done a good enough job of clarifying the difference between whites and yeah. walkers slash yeah. others um which the book does a good job of i mean obviously in the show you can see the physical difference but the walkers or the others can get killed by dragon glass in the books and in the show they added that valerian steel works too and cool we were like fine that whatever even though that's not actually true in the books but then, like, this whole thing of, like, oh, we can kill the whites with 
these things, it's not even internally consistent because in the last episode we saw them killing so many whites with their swords, their regular swords and axes. So it's like, okay, I, I'm willing to buy it to an extent as long as you keep it internally consistent within the show. And they they can't even do that. And that's such an okay. easy thing to plan ahead for. You know this yeah. going into writing. Um, we also get numbers for the um, the whites. So yeah. Daenerys says that they have at least 100,000. So I remember we were talking about the size of the army mm-hmm. in the last episode, so I just wanted to comment on that. But the problem is that, of course, once human mm-hmm. armies get killed, they right. become whites. So... Plus this any innocent civilians that we have. <laughs> and um, they bash us over the head a couple more times with the fact that he's Ned mm-hmm. Stark's son. You know you're getting close to an identity reveal when they start really emphasizing who his Hashtag father subtlety. is. And then we get that great moment where he says, I cannot do this because uh-huh. Cersei's willing to agree to a truce as long as John stays neutral. And John says, I can't. I've already pledged myself to Danny." Cersei's like, well, fuck you and your mm-hmm. truce. Sounds good to me because the dead will kill all of you first. Tyrion's like, you, one of these days you should learn how <laughs> to lie, which is interesting um, because this is really marking John mm-hmm. as an honest person in terms of his moral character, but also we're seeing that Tyrion is cautioning against it. I think John did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not... Like, no matter what the strategy is, if he is truce to Daenerys, which he is, it would do them worse in the long run to have them lie to Cersei about that status than to be upfront in the first place about it. Because now she can't see it as backstabbing. Yeah. So I I don't fault him for his honesty Okay, now here. let's transition into... So that initial parlay ends on that sour note so then Tyrion's like well I guess I'm up so because he's the only one who can talk to Cersei I was not a fan of this scene so first off we all know that Tyrion plus Cersei is just Mm -hmm. a bad idea so I don't really see why anyone logically thinks that Tyrion is the best person to go talk to Cersei even if he knows her well he should know her well enough to know that she hates nobody in the world as much as she hates him. And then during the actual scene between the two of them, while they're two of the greatest actors in Game of Thrones, don't get me wrong, they acted it well, but this was some of the worst writing we've seen since like the first few episodes, in my opinion. It fell flat. It didn't, it, it was, it basically felt to me like it was written to say, hey, we have two actors who could win an Emmy Award for this scene, so let's make let's write this scene for them to win that award rather than let's write this scene to have any resemblance to what actually would go on between these two characters. This talking, them both talking about how they want the other one dead and like talking about the children. And I felt like it was written to play up both of the actors' strengths, but it wasn't written to be consistent with the what the show needed at this point. I don't I, just I felt totally, did not like I the scene. didn't love this scene, but I was not opposed to it anywhere nearly as strongly as you were. I enjoyed that it was an example for Tyrion again to prove his bravery and I think what maybe would have made this scene stronger is if Jamie had tried to talk to Cersei 
immediately after the parlay before they got into the red keep like something that we could have seen off in the distance and then jamie walking away to Tyrion and being like hey dude i tried and i failed unlike that hallway scene yeah i think the pacing the Mm -hmm. pacing of getting to this scene was also annoying we didn't get to see cersei okay um stewing at all so but i was legitimately concerned for Tyrion's safety um during here i wrote sos Tyrion is not on my death pool this season i so that's another of my frustrations is i wish i had been i should have been but i wasn't and i think that comes down to the writing of this season and the show i but i didn't even expect once that Tyrion was in danger here because it just didn't make sense plot wise Mm -hmm. I guess we need Tyrion too much and um, they've painted Cersei into this cold and calculating character who doesn't act impulsively and killing Tyrion would have been an impulsive and bad diplomatic move um... here. And so, yeah, in the book, Cersei would have totally killed Tyrion in the scene. But I just, I, I've lost my, this Cersei is not book Cersei to me, so I just was like, no, there's no way she's going to okay. do and something that risky here. Okay, and then you had mentioned how you didn't feel the children, a conversation about Marcella and Tom and fit into the scene. But I disagree because for me that's been something that's hasn't been fully resolved with Cersei because Cersei's in such, well, either bad writing and the fact that the show version of Cersei is so in denial about her role in how those deaths happened or why they happened like someone's reason behind marcella's death was for example to hurt cersei um it had nothing to do with marcella so what was said needed to be said well let me rephrase my frustration with the whole children aspect i thought cersei as you said needs we need to see her grapple with that more and this was Mm -hmm. a step in that direction but it wasn't as much as we need um but also it was to me what really fell flat was Tyrion's talking about the children because we never saw him really interact with Tommen or Marcella in the show ever it showed through him trying to manipulate her in a way that he's normally way more subtle at so that's why I just it didn't vibe with me I was just like why Tyrion, all you're going to do in mm-hmm. saying this is make her more upset. And you don't want Cersei to be upset or feel vulnerable in this moment. Like, it just, strategically, I didn't understand why we were going there. But I I do think we need to see more of Cersei mm-hmm. grappling with her role. And that was a good part of this scene. But um, And then there's a great quote in yeah. the scene that's um, from Cersei, right? If there's no future, why are we here? So that's, of course, talking about this this first generation of children, of all of their parents who did bad things. Um, and, you know, what happens with the third generation, the grandchildren? Why are they here for the children oh. for the next generation? Is that what that scene is saying? And here we are getting more references to children, which... Is still a direction where I am not really sure where they're Why going Why does Cersei with. need to be pregnant? Um, this is so annoying. <laughs> next season, they have to kill all the others. I don't think there's going to be time for them to raise a child. My main complaint in this scene is with Tyrion and the 
lines that they've written for Tyrion. Cersei's was okay. Cersei had some great moments. Um, and Tyrion, of course, Peter's a great actor, and I liked his acting. It was just I didn't enjoy the way they wrote his character. And I like my notes are literally like this isn't Game of Thrones. Tyrion wouldn't do this. Tyrion wouldn't say this. No, no, no. <laughs> like that was those are basically all the notes I have from this section. Um, and then at the end of this scene, I think we finally see Cersei, the Cersei that we've all missed and Cersei has not been. So that is the one good thing to come out of the scene is I think that we're going to start seeing fiery Cersei in the future rather than cold Cersei. I really hope. Next scene is the end of that parlay, right? And John reaching yes. to the dragon pit. Yeah. We have John checking Danny out, and then they kind of go over into that little corner and, like, check each... I don't know. They're just yeah. flirting. <laughs> but why... Why is this a moment where Daenerys is like, I can't have children? <laughs> like, yeah, that's just, like, a normal thing that comes up in conversation. Like... Because she's concerned with... I don't... Succession. I don't yeah, I guess I understand why she wants to talk to him about it, especially since, like, she's finally, I think, realizing that, hey, John is into me and this is probably going to happen. But, like, in this exact context is where I just am like, really? Like, this is the moment we're talking about this? Like, this I would have preferred to have seen maybe right before they have sex. That would have made way more sense to me than here. It, I don't know. Um Okay, mm-hmm. so I have a confession to make. I totally fell for Cersei being with Team North in the Great War here. Totally fell for it. I feel Apparently. like an idiot. Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember back to how I did. I My notes here okay. say, no, I don't buy it. Um, just because I didn't think we got any resolution mm-hmm. from Tyrion's scene with her that would make me think that she changed her mind plus her um pre-parlay conversations with jamie were all about finding out the weaknesses of these Mm -hmm. people so that i can exploit it so i'm sitting here going okay what's Mm -hmm. her angle here i i don't i really liked how they're calling this initial war against the others the great war because that of course Mm -hmm. is what the world called world war one and then they ended up with World War Two, so that's a really good indication of how we're going to have both our other war, or war against the others, and then have this war for Westeros, or war for what remains of Westeros, and who's going to rule, and how that's all going to work. Yeah. Ready to move on to Peter and oh, yeah. Sansa um, in Winterfell? I have very few comments for this scene other than Sansa has her playing face on. As far as I could tell. Yeah. And she can't be surprised at what Littlefinger was trying to say. Um, I I have noted that, okay, so it seems like she is playing him. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how. Um, and we'll get to this in the next Winterfell scene. But, like, this is going to be my saddest, I called it, of the entire season. Because I called it, but I hate how they did it, basically. Um, in terms of we the both called this situation going on here. I looked back. Yeah, yeah, but it's just like I don't like the way that they went about doing mm. it. I mean, I'm um, not gonna argue. But with yeah, you are. <laughs> this, 
I like this scene just because we finally get some semblance of the fact that finally. Sansa is playing Peter, but like there there's absolutely no mm-hmm. way to predict right. how and why. No. And and also how long next... has this been going on for? I this honestly, I feel like there was a lot of Winterfell script that got cut. That's the only explanation I have for it because these scenes would make would be great and I would make sense to me if we had like maybe mm-hmm. three or four more conversations between Arya or Sansa, even two more conversations between those two and mm-hmm. some hint of what was coming. And I I have to believe that those were in there at first and they just cut them for time, which I think was dumb because of all the scenes to cut for time, the ones that explain what's mm-hmm. going on are not the right ones to cut. But yeah. now we get John Do you want to talk about this? Um, I thought this was mm-hmm. one of the best scenes yeah. in this episode. I, the <laughs> writing was good, actually. Um, I think that this is a really accurate portrayal of mm-hmm. both of these characters. Um, Theon is struggling with all of this horrific trauma, and along with the stunted childhood mm-hmm. that he already had, um, we've seen Theon from the first season as having a lot of, um, developmental and identity issues and I think that they've done his character really true um and so John I think does the right thing here in forgiving Theon um and I think that Theon's trauma is makes it okay for him to have multiple Mm -hmm. redemption arcs um I complain a lot about multiple redemption arcs because (laughs) they take up a lot of time but for Theon it makes sense to me um he has a lot of redemption he needs to do and so I like the fact that he is continuing on that trajectory in this season and that it wasn't all wrapped up and everything's fine and fixed now so next scene is Theon going to the boat to leave to go get Yara yeah first really quick I want to say that we're getting a lot of setup that Yay! we're going to see Yara in season eight <laughs> And that mm-hmm. makes me really, 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 really happy. This fight I liked, but it felt like kind of a waste yeah. of time. Yeah. Because as I was saying in terms of Theon's redemption arc, I'm glad that we're still mm-hmm. he's still working on it. But this did feel to me as if it was too easy of a solution in terms of, oh, he fought someone and now he's all better. I don't like that. Um, and I think that it's much more valuable to hear Theon talk mm-hmm. through the his past rather than see him you know take it out in terms of violence i wasn't bothered by having a fighting scene because for theon it does need to be both internal and talked out but it also needs to be physical because mm-hmm. what this is going to come down to is him fighting neuron in the show um so yeah. it's important that yeah. he does have these physical challenges to kind of build up his confidence and build up his fighting capability so that way when he gets to Yaron, whether he wins or loses, yeah. he can at least put up a good fight. So, you know, I didn't think about it that way in terms of setting him up to be the one to take on Yaron. I like that, Thank actually, you. so I take back some of my complaints. Um, in case you didn't miss it or didn't pick up on the symbolism of the moment when Theon drops to his knees um, at the ocean and picks up some of that water and slashes out on his face... That's a very, very great joy thing to do. Very ironborn. That's his rebirth. Mm-hmm. 
So, <laughs> ready to move on to Winterfell? Am I ready? <laughs> so, call it. it. Um, but I'm confused at the fact that I called it and I don't like it. Um, so, mm-hmm. turns out this has all been a setup. Sansa comes out and calls for Arya to come before her and they set it up as if she's gonna mm-hmm. murder Arya and call for Arya's death but then they turn it on to Peter and it's like how do you answer to these charges Lord Baelish and I do not like this I don't like the way they did this at all at all at all I thought I hated it was this. cool but um I so something that is bothering me that's both related and unrelated to this scene is where is sweet robin because he hasn't been murdered Mm -hmm. we think but does he matter at all slash is he going to be written off entirely from the show yeah that's annoying also um they provided like zero evidence in this trial (laughs) against peter so all of the lords of the Vale are supposed to take sansa and Arya's word Mm -hmm. against peter which makes no sense because Peter is the but Lord they of like the Vale. Anyway. He deserves, yeah, but he deserves some form of a trial and some form of evidence. And all of his crimes are mm-hmm. so vague; they don't specifically say this is what you did to cause these things to happen. They just say you did, you mm-hmm. murdered, and you plotted, and you did. There is no evidence, no specificity, and outside of just my frustration with the way they did the trial which was annoying, um, the whole lead-up to mm-hmm. it this entire season, which you and I have been complaining about basically since they started this plotline, is that we had no idea what Arya and Sansa were actually doing. We didn't see Arya find anything that incriminated Peter. We didn't hear Sansa tell Arya anything we that incriminated Peter. We saw Peter playing Peter. Arya. We didn't... Yeah, we saw Peter playing both of them. We didn't get enough backstory into what Sansa yeah. thinks Peter did, what Arya knows Peter did, and maybe even what Bran told them mm-hmm. Peter did. There was no explanation behind this. It was all fanfare and just like for great surprise effect, this felt like they basically wrote off Sansa and Arya's entire season long plot just so they could have this one gotcha moment to the audience. And I yeah, hated it. I agree with you to the extent that this could have been I really would like to know how much of this plot that was edited out of the final season and what the reasoning behind not having mm-hmm. more of this was because if you're going to have a surprise little finger fine don't tell all of the lords but then as you said present evidence to the lord to the lords there and to little fingers saying this is what we have this is our evidence um, or yeah. if you're not going to do that, it you have to show that Sansa and Arya have gotten together and had that conversation, that Sansa, Arya, and Bran have gotten together and had a conversation. We didn't see that, and mm-hmm. Laurel and I have been looking for hints. The fandom has been looking for hints, and there were none to be had. So it's just, it was very confusing yeah. as a viewer. If, and it would have been so easily redeemable without right. a lot more screen time honestly take out the whole scene with Arya and the faces and Sansa because that added nothing to the plot 
and instead add in just a couple of scenes where you see Arya say, well, Peter told Mm -hmm. me this, and then Arya looks at Sansa with a weird expression on her face, or um, Peter says something Mm -hmm. that Bran looks at him and says, no, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we got a little bit of that with the chaos as a ladder, but that wasn't a specific, I did this, or that they know to be true, or... um, yeah, like if Peter had said something about if your father had only agreed to side with me yeah. or something like that, and then had Bran look at him and then look at Arya mm-hmm. and Sansa, that would have been, that one moment would have been enough for us to be like, oh, okay, so Bran found the one thing that they can get him on. And then in the trial, they could have introduced yeah. that as evidence. Like, it, it was, it's an, that's what frustrates me the most about this is it is so easy for them to have actually yeah. done it the Can right way. Can I ask way. you a question though? So with the dagger, how did Joffrey or how did the assassin get it to Bran then? Was it Joffrey's fault or was that little finger set up? Well, in the books it right. was Joffrey's Do fault. Do you, you think they made it clear in the show though? Because I'm confused now. No. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't they didn't make it clear at all in the show. We don't know who sent the dagger. For all we know, it could have been Littlefinger, and that's what we know about. But there was no explanation right. of that. Like I'm willing to put aside mm-hmm. book and show differences as long as the show explains it. And that's something I could have been like, okay, like I understand why it makes more sense for them to have had Littlefinger be the one to kill Bran as long as they explain that and we mm-hmm. see them realizing it, but we didn't mm-hmm. get any of that. Like I don't know. I don't know what's okay. going on. Well, um, but actually, Littlefinger's death hit me heavier than I expected. Like, I expected it to happen. And then you see Aben, like, sink to the ground. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. Littlefinger has been one of my favorite characters in both mm-hmm. the book and the show until, like, this yep. last season in the show. It was the writing. Um, <laughs> I think, Yeah. Little Littlefinger is such a good character, such mm-hmm. a smart character. I'm gonna give him like a mini good character, right not now, being basically. morally good, just a fun character. Yeah, but might be a bit. yeah. <laughs> well written, very interesting, very smart. Seeing having a character who comes from mm-hmm. nothing, motivated by love, but also by ambition, and having these conflicting mm-hmm. emotions and desires. To the point that he doesn't sometimes even know what he wants, let alone does the reader know what he wants. And while they simplified him a little mm-hmm. bit in the book show, which frustrated me a little bit, like, this is how he mm-hmm. should have died. I hope that it's going to be something similar in the books with Sansa. But they did a disservice to the overall sh- structure mm-hmm. of this season. And um, I just... This also doesn't explain what happened in the last episode with Arya and the Game of Faces and showing Sansa the faces. Um, We have no explanation of that, even though Arya and Sansa seem to be like all buddy-buddy again. We have to remember that last episode, Arya threatened um, Sansa's life, and Sansa knows about the faces. So uh, looking for some follow-up on that one in hopefully episode one of season eight. Um, and also, now that everyone has seen Arya execute Peter, she's not going to be able to use his face, probably, uh, unless they keep it a secret. Also, what would the utility of that be? 
The only reason that Arya... Wait, Arya's going to use Littlefinger's face for, for Cersei. Cersei. Yeah. To... Yeah, that's what I predicted, but somehow they've got to keep his execution silent. I mean, there's a lot going on. Um, For the meantime, let's move on to the next scene, which is um, back in King's Landing. We're with Cersei, and in this sort of um, scene with Jamie. Yeah. So we find out that Cersei isn't going to go north, that Euron didn't run away from the others. To go hide on the islands. Because actually no one he... runs away from me. No one turns their yeah. back on me. Yep. Um, so instead, Euron is going east to get some golden company. And that's that mercenary sword, uh, sellsword company that we were talking about with the Iron Bank. Um, and so she's going to let Jon and Daenerys die fighting it out with the others. And kind of, I kind of called it because I predicted that um, if she was going to ally with them, it would end up being more of a situation where she just didn't show up okay. rather than actively um, working against them. So yeah. that's interesting. It's also interesting to me that Cersei still thinks that the 20,000 members of the Golden Company will be enough to kill the 100,000 Army of the Dead that we now know about, but... Yeah, I'm really intrigued to hear what you think her strategy is. Okay, so let's get into Cersei's train of thought. Number one, I can defeat, I'm just going to call the Northern Alliance, um, John Neris. So she can defeat John Neris after they finish, finish dealing with the others. Um, not if they still have dragons. Number two. She can defeat the others without Daenerys, not without dragons. <laughs> um, the Golden Company's elephants aren't going to beat the army of the dead. <laughs> Ooh, snow elephants. <laughs> Zombie elephants. Um, so Cersei's whole logic makes no sense to me because what Jamie says to her is precisely the point. She cannot hope to defeat anyone. And, you know, with limited resources, remember that there's still limited food because everything needs to be rationed for however long winter is going to be. And then dealing with, um, you know, thinking that the Army of the Dead wouldn't be able to breach King's Landing or the Riverlands is just insane. Mm -hmm. There is no strategy. The logic is, I'm going to die either way, so I'm going to die with as much dignity as I can here by remaining queen of my dwindling kingdom. So how does this work? Is she stays in King's Landing, she stays in the she Red does have Euron. And meanwhile, Jaenerys... Well, I'm talking yeah. about the other fight. The fight with the others. Um, the others push them as far south as King's Landing... So Daenerys is, um, so there's the Red Keep, and then there's Daenerys in the land right in front of them. So are they protecting Cersei from the others, and they literally you know, have to have that battle? <laughs> you know what would be a really cool scene? Yeah. Is if Danny and the Unsullied and Winterfell and everyone 
leave on boats or something and just Ah. leave Westeros momentarily so the others come and storm King's Landing and then Daenerys flies over King's Landing and burns the others and that's when we see both snow and ash falling over the Iron Throne because we've seen that happen before well I think that's all ash but we might disagree on that one yeah so that would be kind of I could see that happening but I think she needs to betray them first, so I think they're yeah. going to be counting on her to join them in a battle. Uh-huh. She doesn't show up. They lose bad. We lose a ton of people. And so that's when they decide, screw you, and they just abandon her and let King's Landing fall and then come in and kill the others. Remember to pick up this train of thought when we get Jamie towards the end yes. of the episode. I want oh, to pause and this we should also time. talk about save this because this is definitely encroaching on season seven (laughs) review territory um so getting to jamie here um jamie walks away from Mm -hmm. cersei as she's saying nobody walks away from me were you afraid that the mountain was going to kill him because i was (laughs) i was because i we we were getting a lot of um foreshadowing this season of jamie's death Mm -hmm. um by cersei and so I was uh, I was all set to just be really pissed off because that's not how it's supposed to go. Um, but I guess in the end it was kind of a good I liked I liked the fact that she it almost looked she looked powerless because it shows that she still does have feelings for him mm. um, because she was not willing to hold him there because she knew it would mean killing him to hold him there mm-hmm. and she wasn't willing to do that. Um, but at the same time, how many times are we going to see Jamie walk away from Cersei? Because but this we is thought, walking away. This we thought this leaving. is where we were at last season. No, Mm-mm. this I, is a different I did. level. Yeah, I guess I thought it would get to this between him and her in the first episode, and so okay. the fact that we had to spend an entire season watching him still love her and still side with her, despite all of her crazy shenanigans. I really hated Jamie's plot this season, but I am glad we finally got to this point, and I mm-hmm. look forward to seeing where he goes next season. Okay. I agree with you and that Jamie's plot was very annoying this season, but that being said, I loved his plot. I Well, I liked his plot. I, won't, I didn't love it, but I liked it a lot. And it... I think we should be frustrated as viewers and as readers and that Jamie doesn't leave Cersei soon enough. I don't mind being frustrated over that. That's fine in my book. But I do love his decision to leave. Like, this is the final straw for him. And now he can go on and do Valonqor. But it needed to get here. So do you know what I don't like about this being the final straw for him, though? What? Is that... The final straw for him is a, a strategic final flaw rather than an emotional or personal final straw. No, it is um, totally personal. But in the books, we see him have his basically final straw with her be his finding out about her infidelity. Right. And the fact that he's been played by her and that mm-hmm. she'll sleep with anyone for power and that he loves her in a way that she never can reciprocate. Yeah. And I think that's a much more powerful and lasting hurt and loss for Jamie that we're not getting in this this way. He's walking away from her, yes, because he thinks that what she's doing is wrong and because... Um, 
he thinks that she should not he basically thinks that she should be siding with John and Danny yeah. to fight for the living. But also, as you said, he realizes that she has no way to win. And so you could also cynically look at this as him walking away from her because he wants to win and not lose. So it's not he's not walking away from her because he doesn't love her anymore or because she's hurt him personally and wronged him personally. He doesn't love her anymore, though. I think we've seen that a lot in this season. Um, I, I don't because... We haven't gotten that outright. We've gotten him sleeping with her some more. We've gotten him being happy not, about but a child. Not like, and the yeah. happiness was still kind of like, meh. It, it yeah, wasn't but... overjoyed. It wasn't, oh my gosh, like, yay, this is the best thing ever. Like, another child after our children have all died. Like, this is amazing. I think I, I saw that, though. I, I did see him being happy and excited about a new child mm. and a new future and... I don't know, I just, I haven't seen him fall out of love with her, and I see him disagreeing with her in this moment, not, like, being utterly demoralized and realizing, like, I can't be with you anymore, you are no longer the love of my life. I feel like this season regressed Jamie's arc a lot out of all of these important life changes he's made and personality developments that we've seen over, like, six seasons. This entire season just regressed him back to, like, season two or three in my book. And so then we see this decision at the end here, and it kind of doesn't carry the same weight that his decision in the book does. Yeah. So I hear you, and I'm not completely disagreeing with you, but his Jamie's whole relationship with Cersei has been more muted. I think once we go back and have our season rewatch that you'll see that more. Um, That's something that, and I've kind of done more of a rewatch already, so that's maybe fresher in my mind. And then I, so no, it's not a infidelity issue that Jamie is leaving Cersei over, but it is ultimately still connected to the relationship that Jamie has had with Brienne, and that it's about keeping your oath, which is ultimately to defend Jamie is ulti- um, at his very core. Um, you know, devoted to the people, kind of like Varys, almost. And so he's devoted to his position, and that means saving, saving the kingdom, saving mankind. And so when Cersei chooses to be selfish instead of seeing the bigger picture about trying to save the world, Jamie wants to be a hero. And when Cersei completely rejects that notion... That's when he says, our perspectives are so different that this isn't something that I can handle. I can't handle your selfishness. So he yeah. he leaves. He's like, you can have your power. I'm going to go try and fight for life and the ability to die as a hero. If that's true, then I would like to hear him say that next mm-hmm. season. Yeah. I, I need to hear that from him because right now I didn't get that out of his act, his performance. Okay. Um, but I, I, I like that reading of it. I just didn't feel that. So I would like to hear him actually say it because Jamie is such an internalized character. It's often hard to mm-hmm. predict his motives as easily as it is other characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had one other thing I wanted to say. Oh, um, so the whole concept of this being inspired by Brienne is interesting. Oh, and yeah. And I like it. 
but I didn't see it at all. And that's mm-hmm. something I really want to talk about in season seven is Brienne and Jamie yeah, and Mormon love triangle that's <laughs> going on here. One more part to the scene that I wanted to mention is so we have seen Theon earlier in this episode, but we also kind of get a hint of what's to come in season eight. Is Theon going to get to Pike and realize that Euron's not there and Yara's not there and have the option to be king of the Iron Islands if he wants? Oh, shit. I didn't even think about Um, that. Or is he going to know that Euron's going to Essos and try and find Yara on silence? Because it would be really interesting to get Theon to the Iron Islands. I have a lot of opinions on that, and let's talk about that in our next episode. Okay. That's really a cool train of thought that I didn't even go down. Yeah, I that only occurred to me today during my rewatch. Moving on, though, to the next scene here. I, just, <laughs> I, I saw what my notes were next, and I got really sad. Oh, okay. Do you want me to yes. introduce this? This is... Bran and Sam. You probably should. <laughs> um, and Sam has obviously just gotten to Winterfell, all the way Called from it. Old Town. Finally. Called um, it. So they have. So this is the first time that they've met since I don't know season three or four, when he, he lets Bran through the wall, or was that earlier? I think three. Okay. Um, so I was very excited about this interaction. Um, Sam goes in and is absolutely shocked that Bran, of all people, is in Winterfell. And John Bradley deserves an Emmy for his work in the first two seasons of this episode. And then this moment where he's like, what did you do beyond the wall? And Bran goes, I became the Three-Eyed Raven. And Sam goes, oh, I don't know what that means, but it seems cool. (laughs) Yeah, Sam is all of us. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> and then Bran tells Sam a little story that book readers have been waiting mm, 20 years for. So yeah. take us in, Laurel. <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't not like this scene and I was so sad because no. <laughs> I I wanted the excitement level that I had last season for uh, Tower of Joy reveal when we got mm-hmm. that finally that's what I was looking for in the scene and I just this was I didn't like the way that they did this the way that they introduced this so um yeah I love Sam getting to Winterfell mm-hmm. called that I love the Sam and Bran dialogue but then out of nowhere they just decide this is the subject they're going to start talking about and there's not really any transition that makes a lot of sense to me here and then out of nowhere sam happens to remember that one fact that gilly said yeah that was unlikely because he was a hundred percent not paying attention he was a hundred percent not paying attention and then we didn't get any scene where we get sam rereading it and realizing it uh-huh. so it all just fell flat to me and i was just like okay so they ran out of time and needed to rush this apparently but of all the things to rush, this is not it. Um, and so they both are just like, oh, let me explain it to you. But we both know what's going on. So we're clearly explaining it to the viewer. So there wasn't really any organic reason for this topic to come up. Well, John. Uh, the way that there was. 
Yeah, but that the way was that organic. Tower of Joy happened, it made sense that that was what we were going to go see because Bran was already looking at this vision and seeing, wanting to mm-hmm. see more of it. Yeah. So for it to just come out and fall into our laps like this, it just it felt too easy. Um, I didn't like that writing at all. Uh, there was no subtlety, basically. Um, You're and, picky. You're real picky. I didn't care. And I'm splitting this between what is going on while they're talking it because that's a scene that I loved and I want to talk about. Um, so we find out that Rhaegar and Lyanna were in fact married before John was ever born. In Dorne. And she doesn't. She doesn't even look pregnant in that scene, so I'm assuming that they got married before she was pregnant. The show um, is going to play fast and loose with timelines, so we oh, for sure. best ignore that. And I also <laughs> want to complain that in that angle, Rhaegar looks exactly like Viserys. They could have done a better <laughs> angle, right? They could, like, could have we picked have an, an angle actor with their who face? looks more different because he looks I too like similar to Viserys. I like the family resemblance. I thought that was cool. That was really cool that they got, yeah. So the hair length is one thing, the wig is one thing, but the fact that they decided to have it shot at that angle where at the profile you literally cannot tell that isn't Viserys, we could have gotten an angle where we're seeing both of their faces and we're like, oh my God, that has to be Daenerys' older brother because look at the family resemblance, but it's clearly a different actor. Like, (laughs) And Rhaegar is supposed to be like, is Rhaegar supposed to be more athletic? Or no, no he was, was I always that up? no, he wasn't. Okay, he was a musical person. He was good at fighting, but he didn't like it. Okay, he was soft spoken and like poetry and music. I know, like singing. So I the never pick. Yeah, I never pictured him as like super athletic. Plus, um, okay. the Targaryens are traditionally relatively lean. Um, he did look a little young to me, because at that point he's already supposed to be married with. Um, two children. Ilya with two yeah. children, one of whom is like at least five. Mm-hmm. So like that actor looked like young 20s to me mm-hmm. and Rhaegar should be like young 30s. But again, we didn't really get to see enough of his face to tell for sure. And we're not going Whatever. to again. Oh yeah, no way. <laughs> um, And then we also find out that John's name is Aegon. Called it! <laughs> but, okay, book only... Or book and show, or show let's, only. Let's save that for season seven review because I have a lot of feelings about that. Why though? Can you give me like a brief Dance thing of the Dragons? Here? Dance of the Dragons had two Aegons in it, but Fagon the original. They one. don't have Fagon. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, but in the in the books, I think that we're it's still going to be Aegon. That's going to be so confusing. Dragons. Plus the whole, plus the whole plot of. Um, of, we have Fagon uh, and then a real Aegon. <laughs> oh, but God. in that prophecy where Ray, that Ray prophecy God. where Daenerys Jagon. sees um, Rhaegar and Ilya, and he's saying this will be the the um, the his will be the song of ice mm-hmm. and fire. His name is Aegon, mm-hmm. and so I think that that also lends credence to the fact that. Rhaegar is convinced that this son of his who's going to be the prince that was promised has to be named Aegon. Um, so that also makes sense to me. But we'll talk about that more in season seven review. I'm so annoyed um, with the character names that ignore me. Yeah, I mean, it's if it's the same as in the book, I like it. If it's not the same as in the book, then I'm rolling my eyes a little bit. <laughs> um, but this does make me also go back a little bit to that prophecy of 
um, the scene with Sam in the Citadel where they're talking about the water god rising up to destroy Aegon. Just oh, go back and listen shit. to that episode, guys, because I made Which a, a prediction that? all the way back then that if Jon's name is Aegon... That's episode one, right? Uh, I think or that's two? season... I think that's episode four. It's the episode where Sam leaves. I think that we'll have a lot to talk about in next episode about this. Yeah. So our um, season seven recap, folks, will not be just recap, but also predictions for season eight. So get ready for a slightly longer episode if we it's really get into all of this. <laughs> Which, knowing us, we will. Um, that's also why we're taking a week hiatus before releasing it, because we really want to be able to sit down and think hard about these things and cross-reference books and rewatch every episode <laughs> and really come to the recording session with our best ideas intact eek okay um yeah so then do we want to go to what's going on while john and or while sam is talking yes here? hashtag called it called it called it i love this um although i didn't like how it started John definitely needed to give himself a pep talk before you went in that room. I was 100% on board with that. Yes. That was adorable. I liked that. I thought that was great. <laughs> I just didn't like... There was no context behind it. So we don't know where they are, where they're, they're on going, the ship. really. Yeah, but that's not... We don't get any setting scene shots. We don't get any... Time, Laurel. We don't know where, when this is happening, how many weeks after this meeting happened. I don't like that. And there's no inspiration. Like, if John and Daenerys had seen each other in the halls while they passed each other and she said something and or something, like, I just wish there was just a little bit of context and setting that happened right before the scene so we'd know, like, what was it that inspired John to go and knock on her door in the first General place? General sexual tension. It doesn't yeah, but bother me they've had that going on for months. I don't know. I, I just wanted... You know me and my emotion. I I'm very much like an emotion-driven romantic. So I needed I needed some context and some setting so that I could fully immerse myself in the scene and be like, you're oh on God, a shit for each other. weeks with someone that you find this, incredibly sexy and they find you sexy too. The scene lost something to me in the fact that it was just about the sex. That disappointed me. As great as their acting was and as like sweet and romantic and nice as the whole scene was. I wish there had been a little bit of dialogue or just something setting it up. So that was really cute. And I was happy. (laughs) I do like it. I do think that once, like, he knocked on the door and they made eye contact and it was obvious what was about to happen, I started squealing. I was really happy. Like, I don't want to shit all over the whole scene. I don't mean to come across that way. I just... the. The lack of context is what I'm upset about, not the actual scene. Yeah, it blows my mind that this happened. I, I mean, I don't even we know when this is coming. going to happen in the books. This might not happen in the Winds of Winter. This might not happen in the books. Um, might not. It might though. It might because again, with the prophecy, go. I mean, we'll talk about this, but the prophecy. Indicates yeah. a love, um, something for love, which is John. We've already yeah. talked about in our book pods. It's interesting to me because before the season came out, I would say fire about for John. Half the, 
I would say about half of the diehard book readers who I talked to did actually think that John and Daenerys would end up together, Mm -hmm. myself included. But half of the people said, no, that's too nice of an ending. That's too... Oh, this isn't an ending, though. No, but, like, just the whole concept of John and Danny getting together, I'd say more than half of the people I talked to didn't think it was going to happen in the books. And now that it's happened in the show, a lot of people are wondering, well, does that predetermine it happening or Mm -hmm. not? So I want to be skeptical a little bit of it happening in the books just to, like, (laughs) remind people that this is not a certainty. But we can hope, guys. We can hope. We can hope. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. Um, So Tyrion watches John go do this. Yes. And kind of watches the door knowing. And I wanted to talk about what you thought that meant because to me – I think that Tyrion, I, I don't think Tyrion is upset no. about mm. this. I think he's just like processing and realizing that it means a huge change in terms of the future mm-hmm. of yeah. this whole situation. Because if she has a love partner who is also a very powerful person, yep. like Dario wasn't going to influence her decisions, but right. John has already, she's already proven that she will listen to John over Tyrion. But and that so he's Tyrion loyal to her she, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Tyrion likes John. We know that. Yeah. Um, so I think Tyrion is just kind of looking at it going, huh, okay, this changes things and I have to kind of regroup and be aware of this for future. And I've seen some people commenting that Tyrion's jealous and I didn't get that vibe at He's all. Not. Um, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't, as I've said before, I think Peter's done a really good job of distancing himself in terms of making sure that that relationship is firmly platonic and there's i have never seen a romantic he is her hand and that is all yeah yeah um but yeah so interesting to see where that relationship will lead in the future i'm just in case this changes in the future which it always could be um it always has the possibility to in game of thrones I'm going to enjoy the moment where all three Targaryens were friends, and it was just, they were all getting along. This is a really nice moment before the end of this episode. So, joy and agony. Joy and agony. (laughs) Although, I'm going to continue being cynical that we're going to get Tyrion as a Targaryen in the show. I think that's going to be a book-only thing. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Grrrr. Unfortunately, that makes me very sad. Um, so with all this being said, I want to take this opportunity to move us back up north to Winterfell. Um, and we just see, so in the aftermath of Littlefinger's death, um, his sentence and the sword, or dagger, we see Arya and Sansa Mm -hmm. on the bridge that Sansa and Jon had their little talk about winter being here last season. So they returned to Sansa's bridge and talk about the ramifications for the future. Yeah. Um, so my first question is, does Sansa and Arya know about John's identity in the scene? No. Yeah, so that's annoying, because why weren't they in the room with Bran and Sam? I don't... Okay. They're going to cool. keep that to John only, or to themselves, until John shows up. I don't think that's something that they'll divulge, because then you'd have people who yeah. aren't John knowing about him before he does, which is weird. That just doesn't seem fair to me, because Sansa and Arya are John's sisters, and 
brand sisters and I feel like they deserve to know and could keep it. I still feel like they should know after John does. Yeah. I can see both ways. I just, I would tell them. Um, Especially Sansa since she's Lady of Winterfell and needs to be like making plans. Mm, That's a fair point. Um, But Bran identifying so much more strongly with the Three-Eyed Raven makes him more likely to keep this to himself. Yeah. Um, And so, again, I'm going to complain a little bit with Arya and Sansa is that we have gotten, we're still getting no um, explanation of the tension that was Mm -hmm. there all season. And if they were just trying to fake Littlefinger out, there was no explanation of what they were actually doing to fake him out. And um, I still want to see some explanation for what the fuck was going on with Arya and the faces in last This does explain, though, that some of the tension is real because Sansa does ask her, like, are you sure you're okay with me being Lady of Winterfell? And she and Arya replies, like, of course, I was never going to be Lady and or I never was going to be as good of a lady as you. And Arya, Sansa should know that Arya totally needs that. Arya is really not interested in having all of that responsibility. It's not something that she has any interest in as far as we know. And if she suddenly had that interest, that would be horrendously terrible writing. I just... I. I feel a huge loss in this season in terms of the fact that we didn't get to see Sansa and Arya working together to mm-hmm. set Peter up. I think that is something that that deficiency in the plot is it really upsets me that we didn't get to watch that happen and we didn't get to see that relationship mm-hmm. um, have po- more positive moments. Yeah. It's a disservice um, to Maisie and Sophie. It really is, and it's a disservice mm-hmm. to their characters and. It's even a little bit of a disservice to Littlefinger because then right. he didn't get the kind of a justified death that he deserved yeah. as well. Yeah. Speaking of things that we called. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we're going even more up north now. Um, and, I mean, we kind of called it. We got, we got kind of The wall will it. fall. Part of it. The wall kind of fell. Part of it fell. <laughs> Kind of. It partially <laughs> fell. So I think that's a good metaphor for this season, actually. The, the wall kind of fell. Oh, I'm salty about that only one section. That's all I need to say. The, no, that's that's all I need to say. That's, that was the season. The wall kind of fell. Fair. <laughs> um, so we've got Tormund up there. And uh, Tormund mm-hmm. and Beric having their nice little chat. Um, and they see the army of the dead coming and they're like, oh shit, let's start getting prepared for this. And then we hear the dragon <laughs> shriek and the dragon comes and ice comes out of the dragon. Hey, you mouth. missed the three Call horn it. blast for the others. Yeah, happy about that. that deserves a mention. Oh yeah, the three horn blast happened. And then part of the wall came <laughs> down, a section of it <laughs> came down and the others crossed and the night king is on a dragon. I feel like, um... I feel like I need to, like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm nervous about this. Um, my first thought was, are Barak and Tormund there to bear witness or to die? 
I think we would have seen yeah. their deaths if they died. They're alive. And I'm holding mm-hmm. to that. A lot of people think that they died, but I think we would have I seen had a, them die. I read a great article today that said Barak and Tormund survived because they kept running across the wall rather than trying to go down. And so if yeah. you're really, if details are really important to you, that's what happened. That was smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked this. But at the same time, it makes me wish we didn't get that big reveal last episode with the dragon getting the blue eye, because this seemed kind of inevitable to me. Once we knew that they were bringing the dragon mm. back, we it was we knew that the Night King would then ride it, and we knew that it would probably fly across the wall and break it down. Like as soon as I saw that, I predicted basically this entire scene. And so when I watched it, I didn't have this awe, oh yeah. shit moment because I was like, yep. It makes that, sense. That <laughs> makes sense. That yeah. was predictable. Um, so I kind of do wish that they'd left the dragon coming back to life out of it, and we just didn't know it until that we saw. That would have been cool. Maybe mm-hmm. we would have heard the dragon shriek, saw the Night King come in on it, and that would have been like a holy shit. Yeah, that, like, that would have been cool. Yeah. Um, something that we do know, I know um, us as book readers have been curious about this. Um, but maybe some show viewers as well. We know from HBO's writing on their website that the ice dragon breathes blue fire and not ice. So if you're curious about that, that's the mechanics behind an ice dragon. Um, So that's how – so it it did melt the wall then. I thought it was just using ice to forcefully crack it down. Okay, interesting. So – Huh, because it'll still work as a uh, as a weapon of, like, to kill right. humans, but the Night King has to watch out because it could also kill yes. his whites then. Interesting. That is an interesting I would like dynamic. that plot twist. Please make it happen. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but it, it's clear that it yeah. takes a lot of effort out of Asarian, though. He doesn't look like he could do that all day. Yeah. And... Okay, so now let's get into complaining. I think the whole wall falling down makes most sense, so I'll be waiting for the books. Having one section fall down is literally so unsatisfying. The whole point of Jorman's horn in the books, which we've had mentioned in the show, right, is that the whole wall Mm -hmm. falls down, and it's like this earth-shattering thing because it's been up for 8,000 years, and it's seven to 800 feet high, and... All and it's su- magic. Yeah, all of a sudden, there is no more barrier between north and south. And it's even yeah. more dramatic because the others could enter from anywhere versus just one section. If you have one section, then, like, the benefit for the show is that the rest of Westeros can be surprised. Yeah, like, the Castle Black isn't going to know this happened, right? So yeah. that's one thing. Um, but, yeah, so, as long as Tormund and Beric survived, they can get word out, and they'll know that they're coming, and if the others keep that dreadfully slow pace that they've had, we can expect them to Mm -hmm. hit Winterfell by maybe the season finale. (laughs) It's gonna be earlier than that. Yeah, so they're gonna have to speed up a little bit, is what I'm saying. Um, but But it seems like it still took them a long time, because Viserion's, um, general... Um, being looked more um, decomposed, yeah. Than 
if he had just come out of the lake. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, I mean, I don't want to get too much into the details here because we'll talk about this, I'm sure, a lot next mm-hmm. episode. Um, but, yeah, I definitely didn't like the fact that only a section of the wall came down. That was a cop-out. It was yeah. not as theatrically beautiful and dramatic of a moment um, as the whole wall coming down would have been. Um, and I don't think it, I can't see a cost being a factor because we did get the wall section coming down and I don't yep. think it would have been that much of a difference to just zoom out and have it be a, a more dramatic yeah. moment. Uh, yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> the whole wall should have come down. Like, yeah. what I think would have been great because we know that there's so much of this magic behind the way the wall works especially given Mm -hmm. that there's supposed to be this barrier in the wall holding that prevents dead things from crossing such as cold hands and the others yeah um it i i think it would have been cooler if we just had the dragon fly over the wall and then the entire wall comes crashing down because that act of someone passing over the wall broke it that would have been great to me but Mm, I don't think that can happen in this show, though. Or I'm not convinced, or sorry, I'm not convinced that that could happen in the book. Well, I'm not convinced we're getting an ice dragon in the books, even, so this was, that was just for show. We have a lot in the books that we're gonna not see in the show, so yeah, yeah, my, my two sides are kind of, um, mixed with expectations, so I won't mention anymore. But at least the wall falling down wasn't Ed's fault. Yeah, this is true. Or Brand's. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, and yeah, we have, and we will talk about um, our hiatus until season eight um, in the next episode. So mm-hmm. we don't need to talk about that now. Um, but the others are officially in Westeros. Um, but with that. Do we have any... Oh, we have to rate this episode. Duh. Yes. Um, so, Laurel, you're going to go first. And okay. I'm going to close my ears. I haven't really, actually... <laughs> I didn't put a number to it in on purpose yet because I wanted to sit and, like, see if me talking about it with you at all would change my feelings. Um, okay. And you did make some good points, and you did make me dislike some of the scenes that I immediately disliked a little bit less. Um, okay. I think the writing was back to some of the earlier episodes where the writing was just not good this episode, um, which frustrates me to no end. And um, I didn't like the resolution with Peter and Sansa and Arya. I've complained a Mm -hmm. lot about that. Um, That is more of a season complaint at this point. This episode, the scenes itself weren't terrible. It, It was more just like previous episodes were lacking. Um, John and Daenerys was great. I loved that. John and Theon was great. The dragon pit was Mm -hmm. a little underwhelming, but whatever. I think I'm going to go ahead and give this episode a seven. It was... Oh, a season finale is a seven. Oh, see, I thought I was being generous in giving it a seven. Oh. I was, I was wavering between a six and a seven and decided to go for the seven because it was a season finale. Um, wow. That makes me reconsider. It was like... Hmm. let's start out with giving it a 10. No, it's probably not a 10. So. 
Um, it's like you mentioned, it's really hard not to conflate this rank with a season rank. So, but I really, I really, really like Game of Thrones. <laughs> and the way I, what helps me give slightly no, lower numbers is that I'm comparing it to itself, not to other episodes of television. Yeah. So I'm comparing it to its highlights. Like last season's finale, season six, oh, was that was awesome, amazing. Yeah, that's a ten. This one, now with that being said, with my negative comments about this episode being said throughout this episode, all of my immediate reactions, or a lot of my reactions to scenes, were was wow, 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 wow. Something that I haven't said with any other episode that much with such frequency. So it did really impress me. Um, and it took me time to to break down things that I didn't like this episode. Unlike some of the previous episodes this season. <laughs> um, so with my procrastinating, I'll give it um, a nine. And the contributing factor was John and Danny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was more than eight and a half if we're giving an unofficial ranking. (laughs) That's fair. So with that being said, we appreciate um, everyone who's listened to us this season because this is the first season that we've done. We've been able to recap the entire season because we started so late last year. We will definitely uh, look forward to sharing our thoughts on the entire season with you in two weeks do you have any other thoughts um if you want to send us any questions specifically about um this season if you have any season-wide questions things that went unanswered things that are confusing to you um send them our way and we'll maybe do a little q a if we get any questions um i think that would be fun Um, and also we both like researching a lot. So if there are like specific things you want to know more about, we could try to work on that as well. Um, and so if you have any thoughts like that, that you want to send our way, you can reach us at King's Landing Pod on Twitter. Kate runs our Twitter account. Um, I interact with her Twitter account, uh, very often. So if you want to do some research of your own and figure out who I am, you can follow me too. It's not hard. Um, (laughs) It's really not hard. And then um, you can also send us long-form questions to our email, which is kingslandingpod at gmail.com. Okay, thank you so much. Until then, we drink. And we know things. Cheers, y'all. <laughs>